You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Well, at a headline level, we did end uh, positively today at 67,644 points. Uh, the rand slightly weaker today at 13 rand 57 to the dollar and gold uh, hovering around that uh, $1,900 an ounce mark. $1,892 is where we are. Apple, the top boost to the NASDAQ uh, early doors and uh, we have seen uh, muted uh, action on the Dow on the S&P. I think investors really awaiting that key inflation data this week. Tungela, though, bouncing over 30%, as I thought it might yesterday, as we've seen the E in ESG overlooking some serious questions about the much-needed role of coal still in the transition. And uh, I'm afraid the renewable lobby does itself a disservice by not being able to be pragmatic when uh, we discuss things like uh, coal and transitions. Ness and Nair, Portfolio Manager at Sassman Securities, and Henry Biddlecombe, uh, Portfolio Manager at Anchor Capital, have your view from the market. Ness, what's got your attention today? Yeah, uh, good evening, Michael. Certainly a very, very busy day. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, resources were really the sector that helped keep the uh, the overall index in the green. Uh, industrials and financials pulling back slightly. Not much news coming through. I mean, uh, you know, I think on the, I was hoping to see a little bit more uh, follow-on from the uh, sort of upbeat uh, updates we had from Standard Bank last week and first round uh, yesterday, uh, you know, on the South African economy. But, you know, the GDP number, I suppose, was always going to be, you know, reasonably good, but not enough, I think, to pull the SAE sectors uh, further into the green. It was uh, another tepid day. If you look at market turnover, 18.3 billion. We had 14 billion yesterday. We've been doing 30, 40, 50 billion some days. Uh, so uh, it does feel a little bit like the market is directionless at the moment, looking for a catalyst. And Henry looking offshore, it's all about flying like a, a G7 and dropping bad news on big tech at the moment. Uh, although big tech has responded rather favorably to this move by the G7 to propose a minimum corporate tax rate. Why is that? Yeah, well, Mike, I think it's a matter of preference. Um, the alternative is far worse because that would be a levy on revenues, um, you know, which regardless of your business's profitability gets charged. So, um, you know, and, and, and furthermore, I think that there have to be supports of our global tax reform because let's face it, um, big tech have, have um, benefited from, I would say, pervertedly low tax rates for too long now. Yeah, absolutely. For a long time. I think companies like Google, Amazon, they've been plopping their international headquarters in countries with low corporate tax rates. Think Ireland here, which has a 12.5% tax rate. It hosts the European HQs of many tech and pharma giants. And that's created a beef with Germany and France and other EU countries. So it looks like the luck of the Irish may be coming to an end as this deal marks a big step towards potentially adopting a 15% global minimum corporate uh, tax rate. Certainly that Dublin office not looking so clear clutch anymore. Nesson, what are your thoughts on this? Do, do you think potentially that tech is responding quite rather favourably because it could also create a barrier to entry for competitors in the industry? I think that's exactly what it is. Remember that, you know, tech companies are just enormous, right? And if you ask yourself, you know, how is it that they've become so enormous? It's just that there's no competition. I mean, nobody competes with Google on search. Nobody competes with Amazon, uh, you know, on, uh, on, on online retail. So uh, invariably, uh, the more and more barriers to entry that are provided, uh, you know, by these regulatory hurdles, 
the better for the tech companies, and I think the more willing they will be to pay, to pay, uh, you know, tax on it. So, to me, I, I'm not sure whether we're creating the right sort of uh, regulations, you know, to to deal with the issue uh, mm. of competition. But of course, you know, 20 years ago, uh, federal uh, regulators tried to break up Microsoft, and you know, I mean, it's still one of the biggest companies in the world now. So, I I, I don't know how you how you break up a big tech company. Uh, Melinda Gates knows. Uh, if you, uh, Henry, if, if you look at regulation when it comes to tech, uh, interesting that we saw Google agreeing to change its global advertising practices after France's competition watchdog slapped it with an unprecedented $268 million fine. And we use that word quite a lot lately, but th- this really is. And, and the regulatory tsunami is something that we did touch on last year. It shows no sign of abating for big tech. No, it doesn't. But I mean, that's really a rhyming error for Google. With big tech, it's really been a case of, well, let's do it anyway and deal with the fine later because we can afford it. Um, you know, on many fronts, techs run ahead of regulation, whether it's antitrust or taxation. Um, but it's, it's getting to the point now where they're going to have to pay the piper. Regulators are catching up. Um, there's no doubt that it's not just Google. Big tech in general have been engaging in anti-competitive practices for the better part of the last decade. And that explains why these companies have done so well and why the top five biggest tech companies in the U.S. now constitute over a quarter of the S&P 500. Um, and it's actually cool. getting to the point now where it's hurting the economy and it's hurting growth. So regulation needs to catch up. Um, and actually, it would be growth positive if these guys are put in their place. Yeah, I mean, a quarter of the S&P, just those, uh, those, those big five. Uh, and speaking of the big five, Apple unveiled its new iOS 15 features at its annual developers conference, including IRL-style FaceTime calls and digital keys in Apple Wallet. Uh, what does that all mean, Henry? Is this good for Apple? I mean, anything that tends to come out of its developers conference seems to be lapped up by the Apple faithful. How are you reading it? Yeah, look, it's all good incremental stuff. I mean, they continue to improve the ecosystem and tie you in as a user. So I think the net result is Apple's customers are going to be spending more with them on average across the board every year. And that's really positive for the business and the share price, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this is a business that traded on a sort of uh, 11 or 12 times earnings not so long ago. And as they've transformed into more of a services and software business, that's re-rated all the way up into the 50s. And I think that's going to continue. So, I mean, I'm in Scott Galloway's camp. If you were to call the first two companies in the world that will reach a $3 trillion market cap, it will probably be Amazon first followed closely by Apple for that reason. Yeah, well, when your founder is more interested in shooting himself into space, uh, the, you know, there really isn't much competition on the ground here on Earth <laughs> for him to be uh, overly concerned about. Uh, Nathan, inflation, the other big talking point. And as I said in my introduction, the market does feel a little bit aimless until we, we come to Thursday's uh, US CPI number, shaping up to be one of the most watched data prints for some time. And I've been asking my market commentators where they sit on this whole spectrum. You've got uh, Larry Fink on the one side saying, Saying, guys, you don't have the four decades under your belt that I do. We're in for a huge inflation shock here. And you've got Jay Powell on the other side saying, really, there's nothing to see here. It's all transitory. Where do you sit? Yeah, I think I'm leaning towards Powell. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is, you know, we've ex- we, we've been expecting inflation now to, to rear its head. For from the 2008 financial crisis when we started this enormous printing of money and it just never has. And the reason it never has is largely because of technology. I mean, we go back to technology companies. They've just made the cost of doing business, maybe not in South Africa, but certainly in the rest of the world uh, and cross-border, a lot cheaper. 
So, yes, I, I understand that there's been a big spike in commodity prices and probably commodity prices are going to go up even more and more. But uh, yeah, commodity prices and to an extent even labor is a much smaller input now, uh, input cost in the global economy uh, than what it was 15, 20 years ago because of this reliance on, on technology. So, yeah, I mean, if you say inflation is going to go up for the last 20 years, I mean, at some point in time, you're going to be right. But I don't think it's going to be as big a shock to the system. Uh, you might get one or two prints that are, you know, you know that, that shock mm. the system. I don't think it's going to be as big a shock to the system as what the bond market seems to be telling us. Henry, where do you sit on that spectrum? Yeah, so I think it's a bit of both. Um, it's a little bit transitory, and, and there's an element of structural inflation that I think is going to come to over the next two years as well. You know, the nature of the shock was different. It was a supply-side shock, not a demand-side shock. So it's difficult to compare it to previous crises. Um, what you can say for sure is that there's no sort of shortage of money in the States, both in the system and in the consumer's pocket. Yeah. Um, and as the economy starts to open up, um, there's a huge amount of pent-up demand, and you're seeing that. Um, you know, for example, in the commodity space, where demand just far outstrips supply at the moment. So, you know, where does that leave us as investors? Well, I think, you know, the growth end of the market's done well, um, but it's fully priced. Coming out of the last earnings season, you saw companies reporting exceptional results, but share prices barely moved. And in many cases, even though they beat expectations, shares traded downward. On the cyclical, on the cyclical end of the market, results are quite poor but the trajectory of revenues is quite positive and valuations there are quite reasonable. So mm. I far prefer the cyclical end of the market. And I think that's your play in an environment where we still expect accelerating inflation. And, you know, building on that, Nathan, and I want to come back to Tangela Resources, much debated and discussed counter following yesterday's uh, listing and uh, and plummet down. Uh, very interesting to see some in the kind of renewable green energy lobby uh, speculating as to whether or not uh, this is going to sink Tungela all the way down to zero. Because when you look at it, I mean, the underlying cash flows uh, and impact that this bu- this business is, is producing, it's phenomenal. I mean, the, the, the market effectively was saying that uh, it, it was discounting all of that just because of the E and the ESG factor. And, and the fact remains is the world still needs coal. Yes, we are transitioning to renewable energies, but for now, for the next 10 years, probably for the next 20 years, there is going to be a market for what Tungela pulls out of the ground in terms of its uh, export market. And unsurprising to see the share bouncing over 30% today. Yeah, and that's exactly the point. You know, as much as we may, uh, you know, want to hate to admit it, fossil fuels are still going to be, you know, a major input or a major fuel that's used, uh, you know, by the global economy. I'm sure in the developed world that can afford things like uh, nuclear and renewable energy, uh, you know, the 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 transition to, to 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 these renewables will will take place a lot faster, but. The developing world is going to rely heavily on these fossil fuels. Uh, so Tungela, therefore, does have uh, a market. It's almost like tobacco. You know, as much as we hate to admit it, uh, you know, they always will have a market. You know, they'll always have people that, that, that want to use their product. And as a result, you've got a, you know, when you're valuing these companies, you've got to make an assessment as to what their revenues are going to look like, what their cash flows are going to look like, uh, you know, what their dividends are probably going to look like. And on that basis, you know, it's a good investment. So, you know, no matter how much we may hate to admit it, 
you know, it's 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 a it's a company that's going to provide investors with a decent return, and therefore the share price should go up. Yeah, yield, uh, yeah, and and that is what uh, in a in a yield hungry world where it's uh, very difficult to find yield at the moment, investors are are piling in for. It'll be very interesting to see with this focus how management do uh, deliver on the e side though uh, a pathway to rehabilitate those mines because we've yet to see successful one successful post mine rehabilitation in South Africa one uh, and and that really is the big concern where I, I do agree with the environmental lobby uh, we need to remain rightly uh, cynical about uh, speaking of cynicism Nesson the, the comment from the president around placing his health minister on special leave uh, I think many have, were, were rather surprised despite the growing uh, political pressure for the health minister to step down that uh, the president and took this uh, course of action, but then he's also announced Tourism Minister uh, Mamaloko Kabayangabani will serve as Acting Health Minister. She's got no health training or experience. She's all but destroyed the tourism industry. And why do we even have Deputy Ministers if they can't assume power when the incumbent isn't available or on suspension? Very good question there, Mike. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I think this is uh, another example of the President having to walk uh, on eggshells, I mean, a, very, a very thin rope, uh, you know, that he's got to obviously balance uh, balance on. But, you know, I mean, invariably, um, he has to, I think, if you look at it, you know, generally, I think he's done a reasonably good job uh, of trying to root out uh, corruption. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it was never an easy task for anybody to do. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you change a culture in three years or in five years. Uh, but the truth is, uh, you know, uh, at least, at the very least, you know, there is some accountability mm. uh, for, for what's taking place. And I think maybe investors are looking at that and saying, mm. well, you know, something is better than nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I think William Kizzi was probably considered royal game. And lest we forget, he was also um, in charge of ANC fundraising at the time of Chancellor House and Hitachi. Nessun Nair, portfolio manager at Sassman Securities and Henry Bilkim of Anchor Capital with your view from the market.